Today's reading is from Exodus chapter 20, which you can find on page 77 of the church Bibles in the, uh, under the seat in front of you. It's page 77, Exodus chapter 20, beginning to read at verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. This is the word of the Lord. Right. Thanks, David. So um, today I get to do the first five commandments, which are put down as the do's. More of that later. Um, there's a lot in that passage, isn't there, that I won't be able to cover today. Things like, should I be using images on PowerPoint? <laughs> Things like, what happens if your parents are abusive? And so on. So I've put some questions for house groups to ponder on in more detail. What I want to do today is build on the excellent talk that our visiting speaker Claire gave last week and give a kind of overview of the first five commandments and what they meant to the people then and what they mean to us now. So let's go back and think of what it was like to be a slave in Egypt. This was a group of people who had no control at all over their own lives. They worked when they were told, and it was hard, back-breaking work. They ate what they were given when they were given it. They slept when they were allowed to. They lived where they were told. It was a life with no agency at all. And it was also surrounded by the weird, animal-like gods of Egypt and the beliefs of Egypt. But these people that had no control, no agency, the one thing they did was they kept hold of their story. They remembered 
They remembered Adam and Eve. They remembered Abraham and Sarah. They remembered Joseph. They remembered their heritage and they held to it, even though they must have believed that the God of Adam and Eve, of Abraham, of Joseph, must have abandoned them. But they kept their story going. So God had to take these people, battered, bruised, beaten people, whose only real talent was whinging and working, and bring them somewhere. What was his plans? Now, as Claire told us in great detail next week, uh, last week, God had plans for them. He brought them out of Egypt. And I thought it was so wonderful, I'm repeating what she said last week. He didn't bring them out of Egypt to take them to a desert or even a promised land, but to bring them to himself. And how awesome is that? And what was his aim for these people? That they would be his treasured possession. That they would be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And that was his plans. So what he did was he gave Moses... 613 commands up on the mountain so that these people knew how they could be God's people. These people that hadn't had any ability to control their own lives or make decisions so that they could live as God's people. 613 rules, but 10 commandments that summarised those rules. If you go on the uh, Church of England website, they give a nice summary of the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God, you should have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself any idol. You shall not dishonour the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Honour your father and your mother. Now the more observant among you might notice that this sermon is called the do's. But three of those are shall nots. Now what I've discovered, I'm pretty oppositional. I've always found it difficult when people tell me not to do things. You know when it says don't press that button, you instantly want to press it. So what I've done is I've turned the shall nots into shalls. And I found that's much more challenging. Because somehow you can put aside a shall not. But I'm thinking, but I'm not doing these things. So this is my attempt. I am the Lord your God. Follow me alone. I'm first in everything. Follow only me, not idols. Honour and treat with reverence the name of the Lord your God. And then the other two are the same. Now, what did this remind me of? Now, you don't need to know anything about this. This is the speech and language development triangle. It will make sense in a minute. So, um, I assess a lot of children who are non-verbal. And there are quite a lot of parents who think that if the child just got enough speech therapy, they would learn to talk. But the speech and language therapist used this triangle to show that, in fact, speech and having a conversation is like the top skill. It's like the tip of the iceberg. And unless you have all the foundations, it's not going to happen, which is why they spend a long time teaching nonverbal children to play, to interact, to attend before they even think about speech. Where am I going with this? Well, I think it's exactly the same for God's people. 
that the aim was for them to be God's special people, to be the holy nation. But before they could do that, that was just the icing on the case, the tip of the iceberg, they needed these foundations. And the first foundation is obviously, it goes without saying, is God. Everything has to be built on God. God's supremacy, God as creator, God as ruler, God as their leader, God as their everything. So why does the Sabbath come so close? What is it about the Sabbath? Why is it the, the next commandment along? And I think it's about a lot more than just taking one day and following a set of rules for that day. If you remember back to the reading, you keep the Sabbath because God created the world in six days and then he rested on the seventh. So what we're thinking about is this is part of the scheme where God created everything and we're kind of living in his lifestyle of working and resting. The next thing is this rest is such a wonderful gift from God, isn't it? We're talking about slaves who never got a day off. It was just constant back-breaking work. And yet God wants them to have a day of rest. And not just a day of leisure, where they could do the, the sort of Old Testament version of watching TV and playing football, but a day of rest in him, in his presence. Remembering... In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve used to work and then they'd spend their evenings in the cool of the day with God. It's a really special time. So it's that, but it's for everyone. God's gift is for everyone and everything. It's not just for the Israelites. It's for male and female. It's for free men and slaves. It's for servants and masters. It's for foreigners and Israelites. It's for humans and animals. God wants us all to rest. But it's something else as well. It's a kind of built-in rhythm. So that keeping the Sabbath is just part of a much bigger rhythm of life. So that the Jews would start, every day they would pray three times to God. Every week they would keep a day holy. Throughout the year they had their festivals. Every seven years they would have or they were supposed to have, I don't know that they ever did it, but they were supposed to have a Sabbath year where even the land rested and all slaves were freed. So there's this rhythm of a life built around God. So what about honour your father and your mother? What's that about? It's about a lot more than just honouring your father and your mother again. Remember, the Israelites, they kept hold of their story. They held it. If they hadn't, we wouldn't have an Old Testament, would we? We wouldn't have it. But they knew their story. They remembered it. So it's not just their parents. They remember their ultimate parents, Adam and Eve. They remember Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and his two wives. And it's their heritage, it's the people they are, it's their identity. But at the other end of the scale, what unit 
was the basic unit of community in those days. It was the extended family, not the nuclear family, but the bigger family. This was where children were raised and learnt about God. This is where the elderly were cared for and the weak and vulnerable could have a place. There was no welfare state, but the extended family would look after everyone. So it was family, then tribe, then nation. So it's not just remembering your biological parents. It's something much deeper than that. So what does that mean for us today? We're told we're under the new covenant, no longer under law. So what does that mean? Oh, sorry, the next bit. Just reminding you that next there's something coming up in a few weeks, the other commandments. So we've looked at Exodus 19:46 and what God wanted for his people. And once again, Claire pointed out last week that really helpfully that Peter pretty much echoed this, this passage in, in his first letter. He talks about how we were set free, once no people, but now the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The equivalent of being saved from the Egyptians and slavery. And then he goes on and he really echoes the, the words of um, Exodus. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. So that what belonged to the Jews is now the call to the church in exactly the same words. So let's just look at Pentecost. Now the festival of Pentecost was originally a harvest festival. It was to thank the first fruits and bring the first fruits of the harvest to God. But by Jesus' time, it was also a festival to celebrate the giving of the law, and it was believed to be the anniversary of the giving of the law. But Pentecost is the exact opposite, in some ways, of the giving of the law. Because remember the giving of the law? There was a mountain. God appeared on the mountain in fire and smoke. It was terrifying. Only one man could go up. If anyone touched the mountain, they were to be put to death. It was about God's might, his exclusivity. Pentecost is the opposite. In Pentecost, the fire comes down onto human beings and then spreads out so that 3,000 were baptised that day. 3,000 received the Holy Spirit, 3,000, and then it spread out. <coughs> and what does the Holy Spirit mean? It means that we don't have to have 613 laws that tell us how to behave, because we have the Holy Spirit changing our hearts, writing God's law on our hearts, leading us in truth, so that we can follow the spirit of the law. We don't need to hold to the letters. So what does that actually mean? Well, we see the people of the Old Testament, they were brought out of slavery in Egypt through the waters into a new land, into the presence of God. And we see us. We were slaves to sin. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, we come through the waters of baptism into a new place where we serve God, filled with his Holy Spirit. But to be God's people, we still need those foundations. 
So what are those foundations for us? And the first one is obviously God. And based on God and Jesus um, very kindly gave us um, the rules, didn't he? That um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul and with all your strength. And that's the foundation of us being God's people. So what's the, the Sabbath got to do? Do we need to keep the Sabbath? Now obviously we know we don't have to slavishly follow the rules. But what does the Sabbath mean to us? And it still means the same thing in some ways, that God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. And that's what he calls us to do. That he gives us this wonderful gift of rest that's not just rest from work, it's not just watching TV and playing football, it's rest in him. And it's about, this rest is for everyone. So maybe we need to start thinking about our zero contract uh, Uber drivers and um, delivery men who are working seven days a week and how we should be influencing that. But it's also about a rhythm of life. We need a rhythm. It's so easy, isn't it? There's so much going on in 21st century life that we can forget God in our daily lives. We need some sort of rhythm, maybe like praying three times a day, like keeping one day a week holy, like following the major festivals of the church. And I think one of the sad things about moving from a society which followed Sabbath to a seven-day society is that so many people now can't meet on a Sunday because they're working. So many kids have activities that we're losing that rhythm of a life based on God. What about honouring your father and your mother? Well, it's, it's the same sort of thing, really. Um, it's the different stages. We need to remember our story. We need to remember back uh, Adam and Eve, Abraham and Sarah, Jesus, the early church, all those people that have brought our story today and honour them and be part of that fellowship and also part of the worldwide church, this massive community. But the, the unit, like the unit was the extended family, the unit we have is the local church. This is where we build community. This is where our children grow up and learn about God. This is where our older people and our vulnerable people should be looked after. And we're still building that community. But God has also put us in our earthly families. And it's also our role to look after our parents and our children and everyone else in our family. So there's more, but that's for next week. So what really hit me when I was looking through all this stuff is that the Egyptians were freed from slavery, sorry, the Israelites were freed from slavery in Egypt. We're freed from slavery and from sin to move on and be God's people. The Israelites were surrounded by the idols of Egypt. We're surrounded by the idols of the 21st century. What are those things that are stopping us from being the people that God 
expects us to be from building on those foundations and becoming the church that glorifies God and changes the world.